what I hope the show does, especially for Christians who, who listen and watch, is it helps to give them a sense of confidence that they can hear a point of view that they maybe deeply disagree with, but that they're not going to have some knee-jerk reaction of fear, essentially, and say, I refuse to hear that and I'm going to either, you know, abuse, you know, sort of, sort of abuse you because I, I disagree with you or I'm going to simply run away or hide, stick my head in the sand. But where we actually say, I, I'm comf I'm actually comfortable to hear views I disagree with um, because they don't scare me because I'm actually I'm, I'm equipped and prepared to actually exp dialogue and and I think that it, more than kind of giving people answers if you like I think it's actually the ability to simply hear and absorb and respond graciously to to people you would maybe before have have sort of run a mile from or had a very antagonistic kind of interaction with that for me is one of the great values of doing the show and i think people who listen have listened you know for years on end um i think that goes that that actually does happen i, I find myself you know 15 years in now um i don't get rattled like i did in the early years when i first heard you know ideas that were, were kind of shocking or concerning or i didn't have an answer to Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of What the Faith. On today's episode, we are talking with Justin Brierley, who not only is a broadcaster, writer, and speaker, but just an incredible thinker on Christianity, multi-faith engagement, and critical thinking. And that's exactly what we talk about in today's episode. Justin is the host of the podcast Unbelievable and also the author of Unbelievable, why after 10 years of talking with atheists, I am still a Christian. It was a true honor to have Justin on the podcast. I mean, not only has he interviewed some of the greatest minds of our generation from Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris, but just is just so tasteful with his his thoughts and how he presents things. And so it was a real honor having, having Justin on the podcast and uh, getting a, a chance to connect. So we hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed it. Well, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. I mean, I think this is a conversation we've been looking forward to, um, you know, to seeing some of your conversations on your podcast. And um, I'm, I'm curious how you got to the point of how you started having those, these conversations, these kind of cross atheist to Christian, you know, having conversations between people of such different beliefs. Well, it all started really well 15 years ago and i can hardly believe it's been that long now but um it began really when i had started in christian radio here in the uk and that is not very common here in the uk christian radio stations i know you, you've had them in the us uh, and a lot more of them than, than we have but um i i felt um having cut my teeth in broadcasting that i'd love to have some kind of way of engaging with non-christians um just in a way, just to, to help the Christians who listened to the radio station to um, be able to engage more with the people around them. We, it's a pretty secular place, the UK, you know, it's not the Bible Belt. And so we, we, I wanted to give people an opportunity to, to kind of hear what those dialogues could look like. And, uh, and that's how Unbelievable with a question mark was born, uh, because I just wanted to, to, to kind of model having those kinds of conversations. And, and they started just as a radio thing on air once a week on a Saturday afternoon, getting, you know, a Christian and a non-Christian together for dialogue and debate. And I, and I guess that that stemmed, you know, that whole idea stemmed because I'm, you know, I, I'm kind of an evangelist at heart um, and I wanted to sort of, um, you know, do something creative on air where we would actually have a real sense of, you know, genuine back and forth. Um, and that turned into, in the course of time, a podcast. Um, and that was really when the, the, the show took on a different kind of life because a lot of non-Christians started listening, you know, as I got quite a few um, well-known uh, atheists and agnostics on the show over the years that would draw, you know, people who followed them and they would then post it on their blogs or wherever. And, and so gradually over time, the show um, built up this audience, not just on air in the UK, but all over the world by the podcast. So that's, that's how it began. Um, and uh, well, I can tell you, not everyone was a fan of it, at least, you know, to start with on the Christian side, you know, some some of my Christian listeners uh, said, why, 
why do we need atheists on our Christian radio station? You know, we've got, we've got enough of them on the BBC, haven't we? Um, so we, so, so it wasn't universally enjoyed, but I think people who ended up, you know, uh, appreciating it, valuing it, they, they would tune in, uh, people who didn't like it, they would skip it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the interesting thing is the way it definitely has, you know, become in a way much more known as a podcast now than than as a radio show. And and then in recent years as well, we've developed a video side to it as well through YouTube. So a lot of people follow the dialogues and debates that way as well. Um, yeah, so that's that's how it all began, though. Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to know, too, you know, obviously you kind of briefly mentioned there the, the difference in landscape between the UK and, you know, the United States as far as secularism and Christianity goes. Um, I mean, personally, like, I'd love to know more about that in the UK, right, as far as like not having as many Christian radio stations. Uh, what does kind of the, you know, religious landscape look like in the UK? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, obviously the religious landscape varies in the us as well um depending on where where you are in the country but but here in the uk we i would say we are kind of arguably further down the track in terms of secularism than than maybe the us is because i think um you know we 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 had the religious revivals you know of the uh the 18th and 19th century um and to some extent i think uh you know in the 1950s or 60s there was that revolution, which meant that essentially um, Christianity, I think, really since that point in in the UK, at least established, you know, the established denominations have been in a sort of gentle decline and and probably more steep in recent years. Um, and yeah, there's there's I guess um, there is still a sort of institutional sense of it being a Christian country, but more and more, I think, you know, we we are seeing, in a sense church going is is fairly unusual it's not something that most people do these days um and so i think most and and certainly the more a, a more kind of evangelical kind of form of christianity has not been the norm in the country um for for as it as it has arguably in some parts of the states uh and so that perhaps is the big difference um and so yeah i mean that does make something like a christian radio station quite quite unique quite novel in a way um we we in a way um i think because there was more of an overlap of the church and the state here in the uk historically it did mean that for many years you know the bbc the the, the state broadcaster if you like was um uh you know charged with also putting religious perspectives on on air and that kind of thing i think it was only really in the in the 1990s really as as um religious broadcast increasingly got squeezed out of the schedules that you know someone thought i guess well why don't we do what the states do why don't we do independent you know religious broadcasting um and and that was where premier christian radio came from um but it's it's still quite different in in some ways to maybe what you would find on a standard usa radio station uh christian radio station because we we you know when we got this license I mean, I wasn't I wasn't part of the station when they first got it back in the mid 90s, but it was very much seen as it, we had to broadcast to the whole of the church on behalf of the whole of the church. So it's always been a very, you know, quite ecumenical um, outfit. You know, we have Protestants and Catholics and people of all denominations involved, whereas I think there's it's a lot more arguably compartmentalized in the US in terms of the the different types of religious broadcasters. But but yeah, the, the overall landscape certainly is is pretty secular. Um, uh, you know, go you you don't find as you do in the US st still parts of the country where there is just a kind of Christian culture, or you can kind of almost be surrounded by a, a Christian subculture of some kind. That just doesn't really exist in the UK. We don't have you know Christian universities. We don't have you know um, th that that kind of thing. Um, so so it's um, it is it is quite different in that way. I'd say here in the U UK. Yeah, I do I do find that really interesting with because um, I think like especially on the coasts of you know the US we we run into that a bit. Um, uh, especially in the main cities coming from Portland, you know, you know, a lot more atheists there. And, um, and since we've moved, we've been running, you know, into a lot more Christian culture, which is interesting. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm curious too, in the very secularized culture you're in, uh, what, I mean, what are the interactions 
between you know the Christian community and the atheist community like uh, over over there? Yeah, it's. I mean, obviously, we there there have been you know quite well known atheists here in the UK. Richard Dawkins being probably the most obvious example. Um, but in a way, in a funny way, when, when Dawkins has responded to religion, he's he's often more responding to a kind of a US form actually of fundamentalist christianity almost um that's it's sort of what he tends what he really built his platform as an atheist on was kind of responding to creationism and that kind of thing which um is far more of a u.s phenomenon i'd say than than it is in the uk it, it, it doesn't have the same sort of cultural clout um that it that it possibly does in in the usa so so in a way um the the kind of secularism and the the, the kind of atheist societies you know the humanist association those kinds of things in the uk they've tended to to campaign more around disestablishing this link that has existed historically between the church and the state so we still have for instance um bishops that are automatically elected to the house of lords which is, is our kind of second sort of parliamentary body here in the uk so things like that they would you know object to and want to see overturned or they would want to see you know we we still have you know um uh, a mandatory act of worship is supposed to take place in schools and these would be you know state schools um uh each week um now i don't think that always actually happens in practice but it's those kinds of issues that that, that frequently have been campaigned on by secular or atheist bodies here in the uk but i don't think they're particularly campaigning against a general sort of privileging of religion in society because it, it is as i say a more of a secular kind of outlook anyway arguably in in the U, in the uk um it tends to be on those issues but um uh i i think you know very, very often the internet has made the world smaller hasn't it and so in a way a lot of christians in the uk kind of are just as familiar with american politics and that includes the the, the battles that get fought but on you know in, in atheist secular and christian circles there and some of that kind of tends to sort of bleeds over into the uk sometimes as well um but um but yeah so so we we have our you know we have our um fights and our uh battles um uh, over here but probably not as quite as loud and as um you know certainly not quite the level of the culture war that often exists in the in the us i'd say um when it comes to the uk because it's just well well the big difference here's the very big difference i think is there isn't nearly so much in the uk a link between the um the church christianity and the religious and the right and right-wing politics or the mm. there isn't that kind of religious right if you like that doesn't really exist in the uk um, there's never been such a strong link between a particular political party and the Christian church in the UK. So you will really find in all honesty, most Christians in most churches in the UK, they could be voting for anyone. And the church certainly, there would, there would be no culture of if you're a Christian, you have to vote for this or that particular party. Whereas I think in the U US, I think there is much more a sense that certainly in certain parts of the country, if you're a Christian, you vote Republican kind of thing um and uh and, and and we just don't have that kind of so the whole trump phenomenon you know to british evangelicals they were absolutely confounded and confused as to why why their you know evangelical kind of brothers and sisters were so pro-trump because that they just could not understand it when 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 the trump thing happened um and i think it's because we live in very different kind of political kind of environments in the uk and the us in that way yeah that's fascinating and uh you know kind of on a similar note right now that your podcast is now listened to globally right um you know what have those conversations really been like i know your big focus has kind of been on uh talking with you know christians and atheists or non-believers um i'd love just to know more about you know the unbelievable podcast and kind of uh what you know, the mission of it is and kind of what your experience has been and what you've learned through that? Well, as I said, the, the mission has really been the same since the beginning, which is essentially to help Christians and non-Christians understand each other better and, and to get them talking. And I genuinely believe that's one of the best ways to both know what you believe yourself 
um, and and to help you to understand and engage another person's perspective. So it's not a show where we're aiming to convert the other person necessarily uh, to necessarily even win them over to our point of view. Um, because, but but what we hope we fully do in in hosting these dialogues week in and week out is to give the listeners and the viewers um, the ability to understand and and you know make more sense of where someone else is coming from. I, I tend to find that um, you know an hour long conversation slash dialogue it bears a lot more fruit very often than the kind of you know social media haranguing that that quite often goes on around these debates where no one neither side is really listening to the other they're just scoring points and so on um whereas i i like to think that the show produces more more light than heat in that way um and so that's 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 the aim of the show really um i mean i am a christian it's produced by a christian organization so in a sense you know we have of course we believe you know that, that it's we're coming from a perspective but in the way I moderate the show, I'm trying to, to, to give a genuinely fair hearing to both sides. I'm not there to ensure one side or the other wins. I'm there to just make sure it's a fair conversation. And, and so what I enjoy, actually, is that very often, you know, when people have started listening to the podcast, they've often said it was only after a few weeks, Justin, I realized where you stood on these issues or that you were even a Christian. You know, it's that was um, uh, which says to me, OK, uh, you know, um, while I never hide my faith. At the same time, I'm glad that they felt I was a neutral enough moderator to, to to not sort of have to be, you know, making it obvious where I stand on these issues. Um, so that that's that's the show. Um, and we've, you know, had the, you know, going now for 15 years, we've we, we've been able to bring on a lot of really interesting names in that time. Uh, I've learned an awful lot in the course of doing it. I, in fact, I wrote a book that was published a few years ago that was really the story of the show. It was called Unbelievable. Uh, why after 10 years of talking with atheists, I'm still a Christian. So it was my way of saying, okay, I've heard a lot of the objections and I've enjoyed these conversations with skeptics, um, but here's why I still believe Christianity makes sense of the world. And um, so, so that, 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 that's one thing that came out of it. And then just in recent years, you know, a special series from the show, a video series called the big conversation where we bring some of the biggest, minds and names together across the christian and non-christian and and non and other religions actually now um sphere we we bring them in we've put them in a studio um so you know having people like stephen pinker and daniel dennett and jordan peterson and other secular thinkers and with christians like john lennox and um uh, and uh nt wright and others uh the, the this has been a great way of um yeah, of really sort of raising the bar, I think, in those terms of those kinds of conversations with those kinds of thinkers. And we, we were fortunate to be given some funding from the Templeton Foundation for that for this particular series called The Big Conversation. And uh, and yeah, I, and and that that has, you know, proved to, 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 you know, some really interesting conversations have come out of that just in this last season. We've uh, the, the most recent one that, that that's finished the season was was perhaps one of my favorites, which was a conversation on Jewish um, Jewishness and Jesus mm -hmm. and um, Amy Jill Levine, who's a, a, a Jewish New Testament scholar, was one of the guests on that, who's a, who's a fantastic person and just such an interesting perspective as someone who is Jewish, but kind of teaches in a Christian sort of university, essentially. Um, and she had a very lively conversation with a, a, a quite well-known British journalist priest here in the UK called Giles Fraser, who himself uh, has um, a sort of a, a Jewish lineage on his father's side and has written a fascinating book recently on his own, how he's come to kind of reevaluate his um, his Christianity in light of that that Jewish past and so on. So, so yeah, that's um, that's that's been great to see some of those conversations that we've been able to host through through the big conversation as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's so great to hear just with, uh, again, from the U.S. perspective of how important those conversations are to have. You know, it's it's uh, like like you said, on social media, people just trying to score points kind of in their own side of belief. And then we forget to actually have the conversations with, you know, that that cross beliefs. And um, I know we have more experience with talking uh, to like one faith to another and like bridging faiths and a little bit of like Christian to atheist. Um I'm curious for you in, in your in your conversations that you've had. Have you um, what what's your experience with finding like common ground? Like, what are some of the common grounds 
that you find Christians and non-Christians are able to kind of start off at? Yeah, I, I, well, I think there is an awful, an awful lot very often of, of common ground. And, you know, if, if it's with a with a non-Christian, um, uh, such as an atheist or a agnostic, uh, again, depends on the topic that we've decided to, to kind of discuss. Usually we're coming to the conversation, obviously, with a specific issue at stake. And so there's obviously something I've decided is 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 where there's a parting of ways. But yeah, the, the, uh, it'll be assumed that a lot a, a lot of things are held in common. So, you know, our common belief in human dignity or um, equal rights or whatever it might be that there, there may be this sort of fundamental belief in, um, you know, in, in those sorts of sorts of issues. So, for instance, when I have a humanist on, you know, there'll be an awful lot that, that them and my Christian guests will, will agree on. But maybe the thing that they disagree on is how to ground those beliefs. Uh, so that's a frequent kind of conversation we might have. Why do we believe in the concept of human rights? Can we make sense of that on a purely naturalistic, atheistic worldview? Or do we need some kind of uh, moral lawgiver who, who, you know, who grounds those kinds of beliefs and, and that sort of thing? So, so those would be a kind of that would kind of be an apologetic slant on on an issue like that. Um, if, if I'm having a, you know, if I'm hosting conversation between a Jewish person and, um, you know, a Christian, then obviously there'll be a great deal in common in terms of the Judeo-Christian, you know, worldview that, that perhaps they, they hold in common to some degree, but obviously it may be the person of Jesus. That is the, the question, you know, at the center of it is, is, was this the Messiah, you know, um, likewise for when we, we host debates between Christians and Muslims, it's frequently the person of Jesus. That's the, 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 the issue, you know, at stake, even if there are lots of other things we, we, we can happily agree on. Um, I think, I think, in a way, the problem sometimes that I've experienced with, with interfaith dialogue especially is that there is that temptation in, in public circles to sort of say, well, let's just talk about the things we agree on and let's sort of, you know, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It, it's good to sort of, you know, there's lots we can do together um, as people of different faiths for the common good. And, I, you know, in my local setting here in the town I live in, my, I'm married to Minister Lucy and she's very always working alongside other faith leaders uh, in, you know, for, for community things, for community purposes. But I don't think it serves anybody well to kind of pretend that we're therefore all the same. Um, in fact, I think I think we have better dialogues uh, and more understanding when we, you know, are honest about our differences um, and don't try and just pretend that we're, you know, we're, we're all, all religions are the same. They're not. And uh, and I think it gives more dignity actually to people of different faiths to, to, to be honest about that and have honest conversations, even though they're sometimes hard and maybe a bit awkward um, about that and and just acknowledge where we where we do differ. Um, and that's what we aim to do on the show, obviously, treat each other as fellow humans and made in God's image and uh, and do things with gentleness and respect. But also, you know, ask ask the difficult questions and, and have the conversations on, on those kinds of issues. Totally. Yeah. And I feel like it's uh, really about that. That can sometimes be a hard balance for people, right, of uh, of leaving space for for dignity and respect while also still leaning into your truth, right? And I think that goes back to why social media conversations don't always work too well, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's too hard to explain all of that and just a written out message compared to being face-to-face -face with someone. Yeah, the, the other problem I find with social media, I don't know about you guys, is um, on average, it, it, tends to, it tends to bring out our worst instincts, if I'm honest. And I find that of myself, you know, if I'm honest, you, you immediately... Uh, you, you you tend to only see people in a one-dimensional way on social media and and that means that you stop being gracious and polite in the way you would be actually very naturally if you were face to face with someone um and that's why i i think there's this real value to to actually doing face-to-face -face conversations now in the age of zoom it's it's not quite face to face it's it's like this and and i do prefer it if i'm in studio with two people you know and, we, and we're genuinely face to face because there's all kinds of additional you know cues and uh, you know non-verbal things that happen you know in in that kind of setting but but i think i think social social media is both a blessing and a curse um because yes it does connect us brilliantly with so many different people but as we all know it's also rigged to be an echo chamber and we tend to end up just hearing from the same voices the same articles as as essentially we already believe in and 
by nature, we tend to start demonizing people who have a different perspective on things. Um, and I think that's that's really sad and dangerous. And and that's what I hope the show in a way stands against to some extent and says, no, let's let's get people in the room and let's have honest, you know, conversations that aren't rigged by by the algorithms in that way. Uh, and where we actually hear what people actually think and 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 meet the whole person, not just a kind of particular ideology that you assume that person represents you know well i think i think part of that too with the the social media is it's kind of made to turn our brains off so that way we stay on it and when you get into these really deep conversations that's the last time like not the last place you want to have your brain off (laughs) is when you start talking about faith and how you see the world yeah absolutely and 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 that that that's absolutely yeah and and i do fear that social media um like everything unfortunately it tends to send people to the extremes doesn't it and there's very little you know me you know people people don't want to hear the the moderate opinion they just they they never to be end up you know the things that get the most attention are the extremes and that's always been the way unfortunately in media um and so yeah it's it but it's kind of changing us yeah it, it it's it's weird the way that the longer you spend in that environment, it changes people, you know, and there are people, you know, I know who believe crazy things, things that, you know, awful conspiracy stuff now that I know are rational, intelligent people. And yet the power of social media and the echo chambers it can produce can really have this extraordinary effect, which, which, you know, I don't think anyone really predicted when it, when it came out. Yeah. I think the danger with that too, is then we, running into that danger of like believing something and then believing it's so hard that when somebody challenges it that you kind of just shut down you don't actually talk to them about it and i think that's exactly the danger and 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 again and this this happened before social media as well but i think what i hope the show does especially for christians who who listen and watch is it helps to give them a sense of confidence that they can hear a point of view that they maybe deeply disagree with but they're, they're not going to have some knee-jerk reaction of fear, essentially, and say, I refuse to hear that. And I'm going to either, you know, abuse, you know, sort of sort of uh, abuse you because I, I disagree with you or I'm going to simply run away or hi- stick my head in the sand. But where we actually say, I- I'm comf- I'm actually comfortable to hear views I disagree with um, because they don't scare me because I'm actually I'm, I'm equipped and prepared to actually dialogue and and i think that more than kind of giving people answers if you like i think it's actually the ability to simply hear and absorb and respond graciously to to people you would maybe before have have sort of run a mile from or had a very antagonistic kind of interaction with that for me is one of the great values of doing the show and i think people who listen have listened you know for years on end um, I think that goes that that actually does happen. I, I find myself, you know, 15 years in now, um, I don't get rattled like I did in the early years when I first heard, you know, ideas that were, were kind of shocking or concerning or I didn't have an answer to. Once you've heard an argument for the 10th time and you kind of know your way around it and you kind of know, OK, they're coming from that perspective. But I know there's sort of at least five different ways in which you could potentially you you don't i at least don't don't have that kind of knee-jerk response of fear that i think still exists for a lot of people and is the reason why things do turn so ugly very often online when people are kind of just responding out of a sense of anger or fear or whatever um uh, that that has been yeah for me one of the great benefits of the show yeah and i feel like too you know fear is like probably one of the biggest reasons why there's so many followers of different faiths that don't engage in multi-faith dialogue, right? I think it's that fear of having your mind changed on a perspective, right? It's that that fear of the unknown. Uh, For you personally, you kind of touched on it there, you know, spending these last 15 years dialoguing with all these different people. What's that kind of meant for your own personal journey with Christianity? Um, and maybe even some of the points, specific points you laid out in your book, you know, what are, would have kind of been the big takeaways for you with your own personal faith? Well, I think I think one of the big things has been. It's been really helpful to, to to be able to over those years kind of in a way in my own mind determine what are the key issues for me as a Christian, you know, what's central and what's more peripheral, what's secondary. 
Um, because in a way, as well as doing the, the skeptic and Christian dialogues, I do a lot of Christian and Christian dialogues, but Christians maybe who have different theological perspectives on all kinds of issues, you know, from women in ministry to sexuality to, um, you know, heaven and hell or creation or whatever it is. There's, there's you know, as we know, in, in Christianity, there is a multiplicity of different perspectives on, on all manner of theological issues. And, um, and I think um, one of the great helps has been for, in the course of doing that to, to kind of come to my own sense of what's, what's core, you know, what, what really defines Christianity and what actually can I essentially agree to disagree with people on and still be able to say, you are my brother or sister in Christ, you know. Um, and likewise, um, that's given me the, again, the confidence, I would say, to, to be able to, 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 to hear alternative perspectives other than the one I was, if you like, grew up with or was delivered, you know, from an early age. And I think, um, and I, th I think the, the willingness to sort of reconsider aspects of Christianity to maybe, you know, come to different conclusions um, because you're willing to kind of grow and develop, you know, and for some people that's, that's a really scary process, you know, and there's a buzzword around at the moment, you know, de deconstruction, you know, that's the big buzzword, isn't it? A lot of Christians who are going through deconstruction, I think is, and I think deconstruction happens. Deconstruction can, I think can either be a, a, a positive thing or a negative thing. And in, in the negative case, it's because the the faith that someone was handed, if you like, was so bound up in a very specific way of understanding a particular set of doctrines or whatever. Maybe it was, you know, the only way to understand Genesis is that it was six days, you know, 20, six 24 hour days, 6,000 years ago or whatever it was. The um and and when that gets questioned or shaken or someone just runs into alternative evidence, they suddenly the whole thing can come tumbling down like a house of cards for some people. And that's a very kind of negative, destructive form of deconstruction. But I think it actually for a lot of other people, actually, that kind of they wouldn't use the word deconstruction. They would use the word like, I don't know, evolution or the, the growth or nuance or whatever. It's 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 coming to see Christianity in, in bigger terms, in wider terms than just maybe the very specific version that you got given, you know. And and to that extent, I I think that's that's actually been a benefit for me of being able to see the diversity of views that exist in Christian Christianity and being able to make my own decision on on some of those issues and and think actually yeah, I'm gonna I am gonna change my mind on this particular area. Maybe I didn't really have a view on a particular area. Maybe I was kind of you know, but in the course of hosting some conversations on it, I thought actually I'm um, so you know you know may, may, one one example would be you know the issue of hell that 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 has been debated several times on the show over the years with people who maybe hold to a what's called eternal conscious torment view, you know, the idea that there is a, a kind of literal everlasting sort of uh, um, way of seeing hell. Those who hold to what's sometimes called a annihilationist position, um, uh, the view that actually it's the ceasing to exist is actually what is effectively being taught in scripture. Those who hold to a universalist position who believe that ultimately everyone will be saved um and and uh, certainly my perspective on that has changed because of the discussions that i've you know been involved in hosting and that sort of thing um to the degree that i would call myself now i would i would uh, you know broadly speaking put myself in the middle of those categories i would say that that i'm a, I, I hold to what what's often called an annihilationist view um and i think there are good reasons for doing that and um uh but i as I say, that that for me is not a view. In a sense, I I can have I can talk to Christians across the spectrum who hold you know to any of those three, and each of them you know may there may be different versions that people hold to, um, because ultimately I I actually don't think that is a um, primary issue in Christianity. I think you can genuinely hold different perspectives on that, and you know still it doesn't affect the the core doctrine tenets of Christianity, which is obviously centers on Jesus Christ and uh, his death, um, you know, life, death and resurrection. So, so that's, that's maybe some examples of, of where I think uh, I've, I've certainly grown, developed, you know, in my own journey and the way in which the show has had a direct impact on that. Yeah. I think that 
that point around deconstruction is is really powerful and really important. I know what what we've noticed with deconstruction is, uh, especially myself coming from an extremely toxic religious background, not really Christian, but an off branch that is very destructive. Um, and I think deconstruction is important, but then the problem is, is that at some point you need to reconstruct or evolve, as you were mentioning, um, and which is a, a long, a long process. But I think a lot of people do get they're in that deconstruction, and then they, it's hard to get out of that mode of just pulling it apart and like making something new for yourself eventually. Um, yeah, and, and I, th- I think, and you think you need, and it, and I think that is it made even harder when. Um, if you're not in an environment where you're given the tools to do that, um, if, if you're still essentially in an environment where you, you know, it's our, our way or the highway kind of thing, then, then I understand if it's hard to find community when you find yourself in that place, then I think, yeah, you will think, well, I'm out, you know, I'm jacking it in. And I think that's, um, that's hopefully where the internet can, can be a good thing, actually, you know, that we can find communities, at least online, where even if we in our town or our church or wherever we're having that, that experience, we don't feel like we fit in that, that there are people we can go on that journey with. Um, uh, my hope is that, that churches generally, you know, are moving in the right direction though, of being places where, you know, we are more open to questions and to doubts and to, people being you know in different places on that journey i i you know the internet has changed everything hasn't it and i think the more i look around maybe and i could be biased because obviously i of the circles i'm moving but i do tend to see more of a move in the direction of of there being a willingness to be open to at least understanding and exploring different perspectives and not casting people out as soon as they question things or you know um and that sort of thing so so, so my hope is that, that that things are moving in the right direction. Though you, you still often hear awful stories where that hasn't been the case for people, and and so on, um, and uh, and places which do do just seem to want to pretend that you know the internet doesn't exist and people aren't looking looking at it for kind of at the questions and objections that naturally come their way when it comes to certain forms of very dogmatic Christianity that that are out there. Yeah, I totally agree. I think from some of the conversations we've had with people who've um, made these more progressive churches, but um, I think their goal is to really help people become comfortable with Christianity again. I think that is so important that even if you aren't going to become Christian again, you maybe stay atheist, agnostic, wherever you're at, it's that you seem to, people seem to be doing themselves a disservice. I would say if they can't at least become comfortable around the conversation of the Bible again, if it's just always a discomfort in their life, then I think it's a, it's a huge, I, I think that's it. I, I mean, so much is dependent on each individual's association that they have. And and if just the word Christian brings, you know, with it, a kind of awful, you know, associations of dogmatic and, you know, controlling or whatever um, churches or institutions, then I can fully understand why someone just wouldn't want to call themselves that anymore, or even to have, you know, an association with it. Um, I can understand if the Bible is being used abusively or, or whatever, controllingly towards someone, why they would think I, I want out. I don't want to kind of try and find a new way of, of, you know, but I think, I think for a lot of people, a lot of the Christian, a lot of the Christians who are somewhere in that category. And I have a lot of them on my show, people who are either questioning or doubting or have gone on a full-on you know deconstruction route route or whatever there's usually there's there's often something that they don't want to lose in it even if they've had bad or even toxic experiences in church there's there's something that that still makes sense about it or that that you know is is kind of something they want to save from it and um and what i often i mean what you often see actually is is people I, i often see this kind of scenario happening someone who was maybe you know a christian got really burnt by the church um and had terrible experiences and they kind of zing to the opposite end of the spectrum they become highly critical highly anti-theist almost um and then that kind of and as they but then as they get more life experience and start to see that being that kind of person doesn't really get you any further and and they maybe move back towards the center and and you kind of and and even possibly open at that point to reassessing the value of Christianity and maybe 
because they've had enough time out of that kind of, you know, bad version of Christianity, there's, and then then open to seeing, oh, there are other ways of being a Christian in the world. Um, there, there are lots of different journeys that people go on. And I never, I never accept that where someone is right now is necessarily where they're going to stay the whole, their whole life. Um, and, and that, that for me is important because actually we, yeah, I would hope we're all open to, to learning new things and not necessarily staying exactly where we are. Yeah. And I feel like you bring up a really good point there about the skill of just critical thinking, right? Especially too, I think churches are starting to adopt more of that. But I think that's also why, you know, we see also that pendulum swing in the deconstruction movement, right? Because if you're coming from a very like fundamentalist background where you've kind of just been told your whole life, like this is just the way it is, um, you know, and that's your only like skill or thinking of like to think for yourself, right? And so, and I think critical thinking and questioning and allowing yourself to like intake new ideas is definitely like a skill. <laughs> like I've, I found that for myself, right? Of like the more that you engage in multi-faith dialogue or new ideas, like you, right? You kind of get over that fear. Um, and so I think that is like an interesting component to just the deconstruction movement. Cause like what I've seen, for example, is, and just in my conversations is like, there's so many gatekeepers even on the deconstruction side, right? Of who is allowed to have a perspective, what opinions are okay. It's also somewhat linked, I think, to more like left-leaning political ideologies. Um, I don't think I've ever met a, a right-wing deconstructionist. <laughs> um, and so I find that really fascinating, right? And I think it all comes back to like the skill of critical thinking. Um, and so yeah. for you, like, you know, maybe you do have some like top tips for that, right? Like, you know, obviously it's a, a life journey, but you know, how do, how do we develop the skill of critical thinking and, um, ingesting new perspectives? I, I think, I think it starts very simply at one level of, of just, um, starting to listen, genuinely listen to other perspectives. Um, uh, and and that can be as, sim as simple as something like you know following people you disagree with on social media you know maybe just just that would be a, an opening start and and kind of giving them the time of day not just sort of you know going going and reading what they actually write you know maybe even standing in their shoes for a little bit to to, to try and understand why they think that way see the world that way and, and everything else um, that that's one that's the start of it I think. And and then yes, yeah, certainly, to be critical, to be to be willing to question your own ideas and and to to start to you know look at alternative perspectives, um, I think you have you have to be willing to do that. And, and it it is a scary thing, as I think the more you're, the more you have been kind of given a, a kind of paradigm of, you know, if you diverge from this way of thinking, the 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 harder I think it is to it it's scary because what what if you know i read something that it's hard to argue against or whatever you know but i think you have to you know if you're a christian you you have to believe that actually all truth is god's truth that that if this is true you know um i think it was saint augustine who said um uh the the uh, you do not need to defend the truth the truth is like a line just set it free and it will defend itself you know there's this sense that we um we 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 often scared i think christians can be scared of just um finding things out you know and uh but if it, but if we genuinely trust in jesus if we genuinely trust in god then there's nothing to be scared of you know um if if god will be meeting us in whatever truth we discover and f for me that kind of opens it up you know and says it, it's kind of giving us permission to to look into the other side and to you know um uh the, the important thing is that um you read the best of both and that's been what i've tried to do uh, over the years so i will read the best atheists and agnostics and skeptics out there but i'll also take the time and effort to read the best responses that that it gives to them and you and you soon discover that there is a lively interesting conversation that no one person has the full picture you're always going to learn from both sides um and while that may be quite challenging, it's ultimately very rewarding um, because I I found that my my faith in that process has um, it's 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 sort of it's it it's got tougher, stronger, I'd say, um, 
not that I'm kind of now know all the answers to anything. If anything, I'm, I'm more aware of how little I know, how, how you know, <laughs> the, you know, but th there's nevertheless a kind of, um, I've always found that, that in, in delving into the issues, when you get to the bottom of it, you find that there is actually this extraordinary um, strong intellectual historical core to Christianity. And it's, um, it's often only by delving into it and going deep into it that, that you discover that, that strength. Uh, a lot of your preconceptions might be blown out of the water. You know, you, you might come to that having one picture of the Bible as some kind of book that just dropped out of heaven and, you know, is, was, you know, laid out for us, you know, with, with no error or, you know, semblance of human input. Now, if you're going to go and then look into the Bible in a kind of big way, you're going to find that that is not the picture of actually of how the Bible came together. But what you might find is you a, a new appreciation for this book, for the extraordinary range of genres of literature, the, the different hands that have and the way, in fact, through all of that, there it is possible to 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 trace this this guiding hand that has been on it. Um, and so, so for me, it's, it's like it, you know, that, that journey has helped me to take my faith more seriously, um, and made it a richer, deeper thing, even if it's a more complex, you know, more mysterious thing at the same time, it's not simple, you know, but then I don't think Christianity was ever meant to be simplistic in that way. I, the word mysterious, I think fits so well of, uh, <laughs> we need to embrace that mystery um, which I think, I think as humans is just so frightening to, to do. I agree. And I think that's, that's one of the great challenges, isn't it? And, and the problem with the specific area that my show often deals with, which is apologetics, which is sort of intellectual defense of the faith is it can, it can make an idol of, um, knowledge and basically fitting all the pieces together in, in a way that's kind of completely rationally coherent. And the problem with that is that um, if you uh, that the Christianity is by its nature also mysterious, and you're not going to find answers for everything, uh, and to to some extent, um, to the, the the great danger of, of apologetics is um, trying to make everything fit when you're dealing with God, you know, and and that's that's probably never going to happen in the end. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think for me personally, that's where like uh, also study of other faith has helped me uh, for like with Buddhism, kind of kind of looking into all these concepts of being okay with just having a question and like having a question can give you as much purpose as having an answer um, and, and kind of mixing that in with all these other ways, you know, the traditional ways that I've grown up learning about things, I think is, uh, you know, I think that's that's another place where uh, the multi-faith conversation can really enrich our own our own faith and our own journey. And and again, I, I I think there's an awful lot we can learn from other traditions. You know, there are reasons why those traditions have flourished in in other parts of the world, in in different parts of the world. Um, now, for me, that doesn't you know mean that all traditions are equally valid, or that 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 you know it's just you know many paths up the same mountain or whatever though i i respect people who do take that perspective um because i do think there is something unique about christianity there are unique truth claims about christianity but i would never claim that that means there is no truth in other religions that there, there are many truths in other religions that, that i can happily you know affirm um even if i would claim that there is a a unique set of truths encapsulated in christianity itself yeah, I agree with that. The one recently, the way I've been living or uh, approaching conversations is it's much uh, we can have much better conversations if we because we should certainly believe what we're doing is like the that we've got things mostly right. Um, but believing that we're closest to the truth compared to believing we have like the absolute truth and that we know everything already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And and God help us, you know, if if any of us think we have you know the final word on it all i i think we'll all when we get to heaven we'll we'll all realize how little we knew <laughs> you know we're, we're we're um 
and and you know thank goodness we're not accepted on the basis of of our good theology because you know none of us would pass that test it's um uh i fully expect to realize just just how much i misunderstood and got wrong you know um and that's you know that is the nature of being human um and ultimately uh again it you know it goes back to the christian imperative that we 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 do rely on the grace of god we did we we don't have all the answers we're not the, the moment we think we have all the answers that's probably the most dangerous moment that we can have in our life because it it breeds a, a certain kind of arrogance that has led to some of the worst atrocities associated with religion in the world hasn't it and and that's that's the problem hmm. yeah I think that's probably a good note to end on um, for, you know, listeners who want to connect with you and your podcast and all of the amazing work that you're doing. Uh, where can where can people go? Well, if you're a podcast listener, the, the easiest way is just to, to search up unbelievable with a question mark and you'll find um, the unbelievable show weekly dialogues between Christians and non-Christians uh, hosted by myself. Um, that's a good way to get into the show. Um, I do other podcasts as well. I host um, something called the Ask NT Write Anything podcast. People who enjoy kind of a deep dive into Bible and culture and that kind of thing. I, I do a regular sit down with a quite well-known theologian called NT Write for that podcast. But we're available on um, YouTube as well. So if you search for the unbelievable YouTube channel, you'll find a lot of our discussions and debates uh, there as well. Um, the website is um, premierchristianradio.com forward slash unbelievable. And if you're specifically interested in these, the big conversation, which I mentioned earlier, where we've really got, you know, some of the cream of the crop, as it were, in the top, top intellectuals in the world doing discussions and debates on these kinds of issues, um, you can find a, that on its own website, thebigconversation.show. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the What the Faith podcast. Music brought to you by Justin Kay. And as always, if you liked what you heard, be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a review for the podcast. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.